and welcome to the Atom Podcast. My name is Dorota Buschella and this is the place to be to catch up on what you missed at the 2021 edition of the online 24 hours of Atom. So, for this 23rd episode, we will cover the mystifying the cloud for video processing. Let's start the engines. Welcome again, everyone. Uh, this is the last session of our 24 hours. And is there any better place than the cloud to finish our Skyrocket sessions? I don't think so. So uh, we will be here today uh, to discuss about demystifying the cloud for video processing, what it takes, what we can do, where we will go. Uh, we are delighted uh, to have uh, Jonathan Solomon, Solution Architect, Senior Solution Architect from AWS, especially in the telco and media branch. Welcome, Jonathan. You're on mute, Jonathan. Yes. Yeah. But you are clicking on the slides. <laughs> I can unmute mute you, I think. Aha, uh -huh. I found the magic button. So I'm focused on video, audio, not so much my thing. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jonathan. And we have uh, Christelle Legal, Chris from ATEM, Cloud Solution Architect. Hello, Chris. Hey. So uh, thanks to both of you for being uh, with us. We are looking forward to hearing about uh, the video in the cloud. Uh, for the audience, uh, you can use uh, the Q&A button as you want. Please feel free to type your, type your question and we will answer in live or in, um, after during the Q&A session. The rest is mute. Um, but we are here to listen to these people. And again, please, uh, if you have any question, feel free to let us know. Christelle, Jonathan, the floor is yours. I'm trying to. <laughs> okay. So there is a bit of jet lag or delay, so I have to deal with it. Um, so today we will discuss about what are the triggers um, to migrate your workloads to the public cloud. Um, we will explain a bit the benefits of AWS Elasticity for very specific to video applications. And then we will move a bit more, I would say, um, into the beginning of the future for us, uh, which is the uh, how to automate our cost optimizations and the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning for our operations to ease a bit the operations we can have. Um, so first, um, quick fact, Atom products run in the cloud. Um, so some of our customers are more used uh, seeing our products running on-prem. But yeah, I think it's worth knowing that our products run in the cloud. So quick reminder, uh, we have three major software product families, Titan, Nia, and Pilot. So Titan is dealing with everything with the video processing live encoding, uh, transcoding, um, video on demand. Um, so everything linked to video processing. Then we have the NIA family um, for everything linked to the video streaming, content delivery networks, dynamic ad insertion, cloud DVR. So everything recording in the cloud. 
Um, and finally, the pilot uh, software family, which is more uh, meant for management of our applications, orchestration, and analytics. So those three uh, families are built as a set of microservices. Um, this enables us um, to run the same software either on-prem on a Kubernetes cluster that Atem can install or that our customer can install themselves or on AWS benefiting from EKS, so the um, Kubernetes managed uh, service from AWS. And the good thing about this is we can rely on AWS expertise and um, they have been playing with EKS or the Kubernetes in the public cloud for years. So for us, it's really a, a good thing to rely on them. Well, th well, thank you, Chris. Uh, and again, a pleasure to be here. I'd like to take a minute to explain microservices for those who are unfamiliar with it. I just want to... You are clicking on the slides. Uh, yeah, I'm working on that. I'm going back. Okay. Um, are we on the right slide, Chris? I'm not seeing that right now. Here, computing evolution. Yes, excellent. Uh, so uh, in the beginning, the software was uh, for any of uh, these video applications, not just ATEM, but, but for many, many applications, was created as a single large application. We call these monoliths. Vendors would sell applications or appliances, uh, purpose-built hardware with their software embedded. Uh, many years later, based on customer demand, you were able to buy commodity hardware that had been validated to support the software vendor's applications. Up to uh, about 10 to 15 years ago, support for virtual machines were created. And so you're seeing that in the middle of this, uh, the middle of this slide here. Uh, and that allowed the running of multiple virtual hardware instances on a single larger server. And this became popular and, and supported by software vendors and still is today. And while this allows the software to run on any hardware with required resources, the applications were still monoliths. You can think of an AWS EC2 server as analogous to a VM server. Then came containers, which virtualizes the operating system. Not just the hardware, but the operating system as well. And this allows the applications to be portable. They can be used on many systems, regardless of the underlying hardware and software or operating system. AWS offers the support for the two common container platforms, Docker, via Elastic Container Service and Kubernetes via EKS, Elastic Container service, uh, Services. Containers can run on customer-managed uh, customer EC2 instances or on managed AWS instances known as Fargate, shown here towards the right. And customers tell us that containers are great, but managing the infrastructure is still undifferentiated heavy lifting for them. That means it's something anybody could do. There's nothing special about running a server. Thousands and thousands of companies do it. And so too much of their time is spent corralling their infrastructure and not enough time on their code, their application, and towards their customers. And that's where they really want to focus. This is exactly what is offered by serverless, which is where you build code and let somebody else worry about the infrastructure. We call that AWS Lambda, but today we're going to focus on containerization, mostly on EKS. And so Chris told you that ATEM is cloud ready and as a fully microservice based architecture running on EKS on AWS cloud. Kubernetes has a vibrant ecosystem and community, consistent open source APIs and broad flexibility. 
ATEM relies on Amazon EKS to handle the undifferentiated heavy lifting of security and operation of the Kubernetes at scale. AWS EKS provides a flexibility of Kubernetes with the security and resiliency of being an AWS managed service. Nothing for ATEM to worry about. AKS is optimized for customers building highly available shared service platforms based on open source. In addition to ATEM, other customers such as Intel, Snap, Intuit, and GoDaddy trust Amazon EKS to, for their mission critical and secure applications. And EKS works with all of AWS services, so we continue to prioritize Kubernetes as uh, with our innovations. So ECS and Amazon EKS manage how your containers run, but you still need a, co a compute layer. And so AWS gives you a range of integrated compute options for where that happens, including on edge and premise, as well as different pricing models. And coming soon, you can run both ECS and EKS on your own managed infrastructure on premises with, e with ECS Anywhere, EKS Anywhere, and EKS Distro. And that allows seamless integration from cloud to on-premise operations. So these are just a few of the ways that AWS helps our customers and partners like ATEM to expand and enrich their offerings. And so what do our most successful customers want from us as AWS? We want what lets them innovate quickly, compete in a global market and deliver value for their customers. They want to deliver products to customers as fast as possible. They want to all of their uh, operations with a lower cost of ownership than they have today. They want their applications and infrastructure to be reliable, highly available and scalable. And they want the highest security and isolation. This means with you can get to market faster with fast feature releases in weeks, not months. OTT operators deliver new features at least every week. With cloud, click, go and experiment. On-premise planning and deployment can take over a year. You pay for what you use. So you don't buy based on what you expect or hope to be successful for, or for peak demand. You pay for what you use. Since you pay for what you use, there is a direct relationship between what your subscribers use and your costs. Applications and infrastructures need to be reliable, highly available, and scalable. AWS's global infrastructure is built for performance with low latency, low packet loss, and high overall network quality. This is achieved with, an off, uh, with uh, uh, often providing many terabits of capacity between regions and with seven times fewer downtime hours from networking issues than the next largest provider. The global infrastructure enables companies to be extremely flexible, take advantage of the conceptually infinite scalability of the cloud. AWS compute capacity is increasing at an unparalleled rate adding the compute capacity of a Fortune 500 company every day. And of course, media companies demand the highest security for content. For AWS, security is job zero. Everything starts with security, including our core infrastructure, which is custom built and designed to meet the most stringent security requirements in the world and monitor 24 seven to help ensure confidentiality, integrity and availability of your data. All data flowing across the AWS global network is encrypted before it leaves our facilities. That means you can build on the most secure global infrastructure knowing you always own your data, including the ability to encrypt it, move it and manage it and manage retention at any time. So while AWS looks after the security of the cloud, you look after the security in the cloud. Building on AWS or in conjunction with a partner 
you install and configure your operating systems and platforms in the cloud, just as you would on-premises in your own data centers. Then you install your applications on your platform. Ultimately, your data resides in and is managed by your own applications. AWS provides the technologies you can implement to protect data at rest and in transit, or you might introduce your own data protection tools or leverage AWS partners. These benefits of the cloud enable our customers, our partners, through applications and through partners to create workloads not previously viable. Now that I've told you how the cloud helps you be successful, Chris, can you tell us why customers might move to the cloud? Sure. Um, but before I talk about what could be the triggers to go to the public cloud, I think we would be very interesting in knowing uh, what is your main concern about moving your video workflows uh, to the cloud. Um, maybe we can have a quick poll. It's being launched. Yes. So please uh, take your mouse and choose. Okay, good. good. I'm answering as well. Ah, yes, we, we don't know to answer. <laughs> Good, again. Do we have enough votes? Mm, not yet. We could do better. We have 52%. Let's do better. Let's do better. Okay, now we that's increasing again. Okay. Going once, are there new votes? What are your main concerns for moving your video into the cloud? Going twice. And, oh, okay, again, I think that in any case, we have a clear winner. Which is? Which is? Cost. Okay, so it's a good topic. <laughs> it is, we will, we will discuss that. <laughs> yes, I also voted for this one, by the way. Um, so, just before we go to the cost um, issue or topic, uh, before let's a bit discuss what could be the triggers to go to the public cloud. Um, as an on-prem customer, uh, even though all the benefits uh, Jonathan mentioned before are very appealing, you need to start somewhere with cloud migration. If you have already data centers running a live head-end, it's quite unlikely that you will migrate all your head-end services to the cloud overnight. So we tried to list a bit the use cases we saw with our customers um, that were kind of a first step uh, to migrating to the cloud. So the first uh, use case uh, that we've dealt, dealt with uh, is really with regards to disaster recovery. Most of the time, if you have a disaster recovery site, it's on-prem also, it means you have, are going to duplicate or you are duplicating all your infrastructure just in case a disaster happens and hopefully Disaster happens not that often. Um, so it means you have sleeping resources. The idea of having a disaster recovery in the cloud, it's a um, resource that would be either uh, not even consumed in the cloud or uh, sleeping. You are capable of launching uh, your mm -hmm. Kubernetes cluster, for instance, in AWS within a few minutes. 
Um, so you can really get up and running very fast. So it avoids having a sleeping data center on-prem. A second use case um, that we've seen um, being a first uh, step to migrate to the cloud was to be able to offload. Um, so you have a capacity on-prem that is capable of handling, I don't know, uh, X um, job transcoding per hour, per day, per month. And if you have an unexpected peak of transcoding um, that you have to deal with, for instance, a new uh, content provider that you need to transcode, a new VOD library that you need to uh, convert to another format or to go to OTT, for instance, it's a bit a pity to have to pay for um, extra hardware machines just to handle this peak of traffic that is not sustainable over the next couple of months. So the idea of uploading peaks of traffic to the cloud, it's you are going to consume cloud resources only the time you need them. And a third use case, a bit linked to this one, is to be able to better dimension your on-prem uh, infrastructure based on the consumption you're going to have. Uh, let me explain a bit, because it seems a bit weird saying it like this. Um, if you don't really know how many, uh, if we take the example of file transcoding, how many assets you are going to transcode within a month, you could start by operating your file transcoding uh, in the public cloud. You'd uh, for maybe, I don't know, two months, uh, you use the analytics that the cloud provide and that our applications provide to define what is your, I would say, regular transcoding pattern. Of course, there are some days you will transcode more, there are some peaks or um, deadlines to meet. So if that would be, the graph would be like this, you have some, some peaks. You can define the threshold that you want to invest uh, with your own capex on-prem. And as you don't want to oversize your on-prem cluster, you will really be able with those analytics to define what would be the best um, dimensioning for your on-prem uh, resources. And then to deal with the peaks of traffic, you can go back to use case number two, offloading to the public cloud. So all those three use cases are using one major feature of the public cloud, which is called elasticity. It's really the capability to dynamically scale up and down your compute resources based on your consumption. And Jonathan mm -hmm. will explain this a bit better. All but right, thank <laughs> Go ahead. First, I will explain it differently. <laughs> um, the, the slide really presents um, the elasticity concept applied to a live head-end. So I talked quite a lot about file head-end, but we also use this concept uh, to, for live transcoding. So this elasticity relies on auto-scaling groups uh, that dynamically adds or remove uh, instances or VMs. On the left part of the slides, uh, you, will, you will see the, the interface of our Titan Live encoder that is uh, relying on a microservices deployment in AWS. Here in the example at the beginning, we have five of uh, four, sorry, four channels that are uh, being transcoded. On the right part of the slide, it's really the evolution of the number of instances that are going to be used to transcode the, the number of channels we are going to, to use over time. So here in the um, left part, let's add uh, more channels to transcode. 
So the auto-scaling group is going to um, identify or detect that it requires more CPU resources, more than what it can handle. So it's going to start a new instance, basically. And if we add more and more channels, the auto-scaling group will add more and more instances. Now, uh, we are stopping some instances. Here we have stopped uh, some channels, sorry. We have, we have stopped two channels. On same concept, the auto-scaling group, group detects that there is a bit less uh, CPU pressure. And after a cooldown period, it's going to remove some of the instances, so free some of the resources that were used. And this process goes um, to scale at the adequate number of instances, uh, so the adequate for the load that we have. So this really is to explain the elasticity that we can use also for the live transcoding. And Jonathan will go deeper into the details. Thank you, Chris. Uh, that's a great visual visualization of, of how the scaling works. Uh, Auto-scaling makes capacity management easy on the broadest and deepest compute platform. You pay only for what you need, as Chris showed, and automatically scale out for more demand and in when demand drops. Amazon EC2 auto-scaling helps you maintain application availability and allows you to automatically add and remove EC2 instances according to the conditions you define. You can use fleet management features of EC2 auto-scaling to maintain the health and availability of your group uh, of compute instances. That would be in case you had one that failed, um, it would automatically restart that instance uh, in a new, that application in a new instance, so you would ma maintain uptime. You can also use the dynamic and predictive scaling features of EC2 auto-scaling to add or remove instances as needed. Dynamic scaling responds to changing demand and predictive scaling automatically schedules the right number of EC2 instances based on predicted demand. Dynamic and predictive scaling can be used together to scale faster. In addition, application auto-scaling is a web service for developers and admins who need a solution to automatically scale the resources for individual services beyond EC2. This allows you to configure automatic scaling of more than 10 AWS resources and your own custom applications and services. Automat uh, AWS auto-scaling monitors your applications and automatically adjusts capacity to maintain a steady predictable performance at the lowest possible cost. Using auto-scaling, it is easy to set up applications for scaling multiple resources across multiple services in minutes. Amazon CloudWatch is a monitoring service that works with auto-scaling. Let's take a just a minute to dive deep into CloudWatch. You can use Amazon CloudWatch to collect and track metrics, collect and monitor logs, set alarms, and automatically react to changes in your AWS resources. Amazon CloudWatch can monitor Amazon EC2 instances as well as other AWS resources, such as DynamoDB and RDSDB instances for databases, and supports custom metrics generated by your applications and services and any log files your, application generate, your applications generate. You can use CloudWatch to gain system-wide visibility into resource utilization, application performance, and operational health. You can use these insights to react and keep your applications and services running smoothly with tools such as auto-scaling. So at a high level, CloudWatch allows you to take automated action with events and alarms, spot trends, 
and centralized monitoring, troubleshoot, create metrics on logs to evaluate behavior, and have an operational status view through dashboards. It basically automates maintaining system uptime with a lot of other great features. And here's how we apply CloudWatch metrics to autoscaling. As CloudWatch collects the metrics on the bottom left, it can generate alarms based on defined thresholds and take actions on those thresholds, including autoscaling. That's the bottom right. It can also take actions such as Lambda functions and SNS notifications to allow you to alert you to these, actual, to these actions. For EKS, you can trigger autoscaling policies in the autoscaling group, as well as stop, terminate, reboot, and recover EC2 instances. That's what's going on at the top. For ATEM, this means increasing available compute power when more transcoding or encoding is necessary, allowing to scale for demand without building for demand. You may recall that Chris spoke about elastic scaling as channels are dynamically added and removed over the course of time. This is a great example of how auto scaling works in conjunction with CloudWatch alarms. As additional channels are added, auto scaling policies can be notified via API to increase the instance count. It adjusts the capacity by managing the auto scaling group and CloudWatch alarms monitors the instance usage for that channel. As the channel comes offline, the usage decreases. CloudWatch sees the decrease and based on thresholds over a period of time, sends a notification to the scaling policy to adjust capacity, reducing the instance count and saving money on compute. The cycle continues and CloudWatch logs the metrics for later analysis by ATEM and customers and AWS customers to make programmatic changes based on actual CPU and RAM usage. This allows for continued cost analysis and optimization. Chris, you want to talk about optimization? Or, um, sorry, uh, pick it up from here. Yeah, instances, yeah. Yep. Um, so we've seen that elasticity and autoscaling groups with the way they work and act together. On top of elasticity, you can also use spot instances. So spot instances, it's also called preemptible instances. Um, the target of those instances, let me just display this, um, is really that they, it's, it's cheaper. So it, it displays up to 90% discount, but uh, as a customer of AWS, I would more say 70, 75%. Um, it really depends on where. The idea is uh, you have an, a new capacity and you can purchase those instances uh, cheaper because they're not used. Um, those VMs are really cheaper. It's exactly the same one as the, what we call on-demand VMs. Uh, but the only, I would say, drawback is that AWS can take back uh, those VMs or these instances at any time if they need these resources for on-demand workloads. So you might think, how can this be helpful with video transcoding if they take the instance back while I'm transcoding? Um, let's take an example with the UHD file transcoding. So if we take um, traditional instances, which are called on-demand, um, in our example here, we will have a one-hour UHD file to transcode, and we will use a standard transcoding. We will have uh, one on-demand instance that costs maybe $2 an hour. The transcoding time will be one hour and the cost for our job or our UHD file transcode 
is two dollars. So far, so clear, clear. If now we use an ATEM feature on our, the file transcoder that is called distributed transcoding, we will be able to cut this one hour file into five pieces, for instance, and to split the, um, the transcoding of those five, five pieces of video on five different instances. It's still on-demand instances that cost $2 an hour. But by doing so, we are reducing the transcoding time down to 12 minutes. The cost of the total transcoding will be still two USDs uh, because we have five instances, even if it's for five times um, uh, shorter. <laughs> Sorry. Now, let's combine both ATEM technology with distributed transcoding and AWS technologies with uh, spot instances. The same file, we're going to use our distributed transcoding, but use them on five spot instances. Those spot instances are a lot cheaper. Here they are at 50 cents an hour. So we are going to transcode still at 12 minutes uh, the file and the cost for this entire transcoding will be now down to 50 cents. So by combining both technologies, we will transcode faster and cheaper. And if you take an example of a transcoding, um, I would say number of assets you will transcode during a year, uh, you'll see that you are going to make a lot of savings by using those spot instances. Um, now, you might think uh, if you have only spot instances that can be uh, taken back, you could, could really, uh, there is a very low probability, but you could think that you could be in a situation where you don't have any, any enough resources to deal with your load. So Jonathan will explain you the best practices to optimize costs by using spot instances while still coping with your workload. Thank you, Chris. So yes, when is the best time to use spot on demand and what's called reserved instances? Well, you use all three to optimize cost and capacity via the scaling groups we talked about. So as you can see in this chart, we have blue at the bottom, green in the middle, and red at the top. The blue are what we call reserved instances or saving plan instances. And these are used for, no for known workloads. That's the steady state. This is the basic operation you're gonna need to maintain operations at the minimum level. The green is on demand, and that's what you use for spiky workloads. Uh, that, that's uh, stateful spiky workloads that you're gonna run for a period of time and then come back down. And then at top is spot. And this is where you have fault tolerant or what's called stateless workflows, um, really ideal for, for transcoding. And as uh, and the cheapest solutions are at the top, um, on-demand is the most expensive and, and, and reserved instances are also very uh, a cost savings measure. So let's look into these purchase options a little bit more. As I mentioned, there are three different ways to purchase compute. On-demand is pay-as-you-go. There's no commitment. It's based on fluctuating workloads. So it's pay by the minute or second now, rather. Um, so whenever you use it, you pay for what you use by the second, you shut it down, you're done paying for it. This can be a huge cost savings, especially for incremental workloads. Reserved instances are long-term commitments that offer big savings over on-demand prices. So these are best for always on, predictable, and steady state, as I mentioned. These come often in one and three year uh, terms and the savings uh, are, are really phenomenal. 
And then you have spot. It's the same pay-as-you-go pricing as on demand, but at a discount of up to 90%. So the reason is that these instances can be reclaimed within a two-minute warning by AWS for use by other on-demand customers. And so they're best for stateless or fault-tolerant workloads. This could be something where you take uh, um, the transcoding and, and, and you can, oh, not just in time, but uh, long-term transcoding and, and reapply it to, uh, if, if it needed to come down, you could start it over. We also have what are called savings plans that I referred to a minute ago. And they're just like reserved instances, but they have increased flexibility and can be used both on EC2 and Fargate, which if you might recall earlier, I mentioned was part of uh, container-based workloads. So all of these purchasing options use the same underlying EC2 instance, same underlying AWS infrastructure, and are available across all of our 24 regions. And on average, every week, AWS customers are using more compute capacity on Amazon EC2 spot instances than our customers were using in all across all of Amazon EC2 just in 2019. It's a lot of spot instances being used and a lot of cost savings. So why spot in instances? Why are they so popular? It leverages the scale of AWS at a fraction of the cost. It's simplified pricing model. Spot prices gradually adjust based on long-term supply and demand trends. It's only interrupted when EC2 is needed to be reclaimed for on-demand capacity. And it's basically a reward for good system architecture and good system design. So you not only save big, but you get results faster. You can use Spot across a number of AWS services and third parties as well. And so cost op optimization. The key question. The key question, right? What That's the big question everybody asked in the poll. How do you save money? So we talked about um, some of this uh, already with the pricing plans, good architectural design, and auto scaling are just some of the ways to achieve cost optimization. AWS provides the broadest and deep deepest portfolio of compute instances uh, powered by the latest generation Intel and AMD processors. That allows you to pick the right platform for the solution you need at the right cost. Underpinning that broad and deep compute portfolio is custom AWS silicon and software innovation, what we call an AWS Nitro system. For years, we've been designing custom chips that allow us to innovate faster, deliver increased security, and reduce costs for our customers. We call these the AWS Graviton processors, and they continue the tradition of silicon innovation and are custom built by Amazon Web Services using 64-bit ARM NeoVorse cores. So now we offer Intel, AMD, and ARM. These ARM processors are optimized across AWS to deliver the best price performance for cloud workloads running in Amazon EC2. Graviton 2 processors provide even more choice to help customers optimize performance and cost for their workloads. They can save up to 40%, uh, they can provide up to 40% price performance over comparable current generation x86-based processors and they deliver a major leap in performance and capability with seven times the performance, four times the cores, and five times faster memory compared to the original Graviton processors. They also provide enhanced performance for video encoding workloads and hardware acceleration for compression workloads and support CPU-based machine learning and other active, active interfaces. Now, once you choose the right platform, the right purchasing option, as we just spoke about, 
be it reserved and spot and on demand, will also save money. It is important to look at ongoing operational costs. For that, we do leverage Amazon CloudWatch to collect application and instance metrics. As we've mentioned, ATEM uses CloudWatch to gather the instance type and look at instance usage versus time to transcode. You combine the planned cost optimization, such as instance type, with the real-time metrics of CloudWatch and autoscaling to achieve the most efficient transcode compared to time and cost. For ongoing operations, the AWS cost and usage report contains the most granular set of AWS cost and usage data available, including additional metadata about AWS services, pricing, and reservations, such as reserved instances. You can visualize these with Looker, Tableau, and other business visualization tools. And looking at long-term cost savings, AWS is the only place I've worked where we work to save our customers money. In fact, we've reduced prices 85 times since we launched in 2006. So Chris, will you tell us more about how ATEM optimizes costs for its customers? Yes, sure. So you've seen this loop um, that are the mechanisms for optimization. Um, so what we are now trying to do is to bring these best practices um, that we learn together uh, up to the next level um, by automating this. How can we do this? Using machine learning. Um, so we mentioned that we were having some configurations, you know, where we define the type of instance we are using, depending on the number of CPUs and uh, memory, RAM memory and gigs we need. We also uh, have uh, the Cloud CloudWatch metrics uh, that Jonathan mentioned, the time to transcode. Uh, we also use um, our internal metrics with the visual quality of our video that we are transcoding and the costs also of the um, instance we are consuming. We also have pricing data, uh, depending if we use on-demand uh, reserved instances or uh, spot instances. And the idea is to feed all this into a machine learning algorithm uh, that will analyze what are the best ratio, um, well, performance versus price ratio, depending on the instance type, um, the transcoding time, also depending on, this, on the CPU allocation that we are using. Of this, depending on the uh, a job that we're submitting to our transcoder. So the idea is to come up with uh, the most appropriate uh, configuration for SD, for HD, or for UHD, but also depending on the content type, such as if it's a sports event, a movie, or a cartoon, it would be different um, recommendation. And the aim is really to feed back all this data back to the, I would say, um, data store whatsoever to feed again the machine learning and to um, iterate again, once again, on this uh, best recommendation for uh, configuration. So that's something we are uh, working on. Another uh, benefit of using um, technologies such as artificial intelligence and machine learning is to be able to collect all the logs and metrics of our application and infrastructure uh, to be able to um, detect an ab abnormal pattern of usage. Um, the idea that be behind is to be able to identify the issues before um, your end user is even calling your support saying something is wrong with the video. So the idea, the, I would say the very top goal target uh, would be to react proactively to be alerted before failures happen, to have to do proactive maintenance, for instance. Um, also to help our support teams to identify the root cause analysis 
and definitely to reduce uh, the mean time to repair. So that's the really the real targets with our, our um, improving the troubleshooting using ML. And Jonathan will explain you a bit more because he has more experience uh, using this kind of technologies. You're on mute, Jonathan. AI ML is really growing in, mm -hmm. uh, in and around uh, media and all of our customers. Um, expanding on what Chris talked about with, uh, with, with the AI ML they're using, those same metrics can be used to troubleshoot uh, uh, to troubleshoot and use as an input source to what's known as AI operations or AI ops, the artificial intelligence operations. That's a method to automate platform at scale. Uh, combining repeated control tests of instances, CloudWatch metrics and analytic profiles for AI, ATEM proactively scales for use cases such as ad hoc or flash channels over sports, overtime sports events and more. AI ops learns from training, what's known as machine learning, human input, and CloudWatch metrics. It can detect when events have or may occur and determine the best outcome and automatically apply the right choice of action. Mm -hmm. As the media landscape and offerings continue to grow at an unprecedented pace, AI ops will allow operators to focus on subscriber satisfaction rather than repetitive tasks. These tasks, which are usually predictable and often have a standard response, are becoming increasingly automated as vendors and operators move to the cloud. So expanding a little bit more on AI and video, AI ML and video processing, the presence of AI in video processing pipeline and across the industry continues to increase. We've shown you how it works in AOPS to assist ATEM products such as Titan by scaling out and in, is based on predict, uh, by scaling out based on predicted and actual need. AIML can be used across the subscriber video experience. Perhaps a largest opportunity is with personalized content, which includes a range of offerings, recommendations, ads, user interfaces, uh, even customized content unique to the viewer. Personalization is a powerful tool to improve and maintain the customer experience on the video platform. AIML does not have to be complex. AWS offers a suite of tools designed that are easy to use and integrate. For example, Upload a video file to Amazon Recognition to detect celebrities, famous people, sports, sports characters, and others. Or upload it to Amazon Transcribe to extract the script. The output of both can be added to the video metadata and subsequently used for enhanced search functionality. Amazon Translate can use the script to create subtitles for international content. The cloud has so much to offer for video processing. In fact, Video processing in the cloud is just the beginning of the journey to create an ecosystem of operator cost savings and enhance, enhance customer experiences. AWS Cloud offers hundreds of services that would not be viable or scalable to run on-premises. We talked about how ATEM leverages the cloud to scale the processing platform to reduce costs and operate, efficient, operate efficiently, paying only for the resources needed when they need them and how they leverage AI and ML to optimize the scaling functionality. With the ability to customize content and enhance metadata, customer experience is substantially improved. If you are just beginning your cloud journey, I recognize it may be a place of unknown functionality, unknown risks, and unknown cost. I understand that. I've been there. 
I haven't always worked at AWS. I've worked for lots of uh, f folks where cloud was not accepted. But I encourage you to try a small workload or development cycle and learn and understand how the cloud does work. And when published best practices are followed, security is often improved over on-premises systems. If you are already in or playing with the cloud or using the cloud today, let's talk about the art of the possible. What do you want to achieve that's never been possible before? The cloud doesn't just scale resources, it also scales product development and imagination. Chris? <laughs> do you have any questions? I think it's time. Oh, yes, there are plenty <laughs> of questions. So uh, let me start maybe with you, Chris. So we got two similar questions around on-prem and off-prem. Okay. Uh, so let me try to reformulate the two. Um, so you say that customers traditionally operate on-prem, but are starting to use cloud as well. Is it possible with your solution to have a mix on-prem and cloud solution, a kind of hybrid? approach. Yeah, so we are working with a few customers on this approach. Um, the first use case uh, we dealt with was really with the um, load balancing of file transcoding. So having something running on a Kubernetes cluster on-prem and offloading uh, to EKS uh, when there was a peak of traffic. We are starting seeing this also with live transcoding for pop-up channels. So you have everything on-prem and you create you know, additional resources uh, in the cloud. And something that Jonathan mentioned is uh, uh, AWS is going to release very, very soon, and I can't wait, <laughs> EKS Anywhere, uh, where we would be able, able to have the same cluster, if I understood correctly, uh, on-prem, and you would be able to offload directly to AWS. So as soon as this is released, uh, we will be very happy to, to try this, yes, for sure. So we are already doing it, and it will be even easier uh, in the coming weeks or months. Thank you. Um, Jonathan, do you want to add anything on this uh, hybrid approach question? I would like to. I would like to. Yes. Uh, the, the what we talked about earlier with containers, uh, that the portability of containers does allow you to have that same user interface, same functionality, same expectations, whether on the cloud or on premises. We're very happy if uh, you deploy EKS anywhere on cloud uh, on premises, but we understand that's not everybody's preferred solution. So uh, containers, Kubernetes allows that uh, easy sliding scale between on premises and cloud. And I, I think the reality, uh, particularly in, in, in media and in telecommunications, uh, is different than something like enterprise. So we've all been working remotely, emails remote, um, you know, everything, a lot of tools we're using are, are remote based. But the fact is in media, it, it's not quite there today and there definitely needs to be some on-premises functionality. Um, and, 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 and a lot of media and telco companies aren't ready to move fully to the cloud. So uh, we fully support uh, a hybrid model. Um, I think that the key factor for, for folks who haven't started the, pro the process is to, is to make that first leap of faith, so to speak. Go ahead and, and bring something on, whether it's a peak load uh, for, for um, transcoding or if, um, if you're looking at disaster recovery, which is a great solution in the cloud because it's, it's effectively uh, no cost. I mean, obviously there's some, some steady state costs, but you're not paying for a full facility. Those are great solutions to look at to sort of, as we would say, dip your toe in the cloud water. Um, 
Still on the question of cost, uh, if I may continue, because we have one question on that, um, Jonathan. You mentioned that one of the AWS benefits was to have a lower total cost of ownership. Uh, some people are asking more details on the comparison between on-prem versus uh, AWS cost breakup. Could you elaborate on that? Absolutely. That is, uh, as we saw in the poll, one of the biggest uh, blockers. Uh, it's important to look at the TCO as, as not just the cost to run, for example, ATEM on-premise or on-cloud, licensing costs or compute costs. Um, at the high level, we need to look at um, electrical, air conditioning, personnel, floor space. Those are all considerations to have, um, as well as reliability and, and N plus one type of high availability. But in fact, the, most of the business value moving to the cloud isn't purely financial. Uh, there's some big reasons to engage uh, to get more interesting elements of business value framework uh, appropriate to the op to, to to the customers. Um, that could be improved business uh, productivity, staff productivity. That's a really big one. I think a lot of people miss out on is how much time do you spend making sure servers are running, swapping out hard drives that have failed, um, racking and stacking equipment. Right. So IT staff productivity is huge. Risk mitigation, such as disaster recovery or operational resilience, and, and then infrastructure cost. So as, I'll give you an example of that. Uh, when working with our, one of our customers, uh, Live Nation, which is um, uh, their uh, event, uh, event company, handles ticketing and, and, and uh, events like that, uh, very large in the U.S., uh, in fact, they're the world's leading, the world's leading live entertainment company. Um, they produce concerts, sell tickets, as I mentioned, and sponsorships. Uh, live Nation has a, had a very short timeline to migrate 668 servers onto AWS. So we built out that use case and estimated they would save about 18%. That's not insignificant. Uh, but after they completed their migration, they realized 20% savings in TCO. And as they got better at operating the cloud, in the cloud, learning and iterating, they realized 40% reduction within 12 months. And within 18 months, a 58% reduction in TCO versus what they had been doing on-premises. And so it's, it is a bigger picture than just how much does it cost to run this application. Um, there is admittedly a learning curve, and there is definitely a, a, a cost to get into the cloud. Um, but all of those can be addressed uh, with, with our, our, our teams and our, and our partners. Thank you. Uh, let me pick a question for Crystal, maybe. Um, Chris, um, maybe a technical question. I'm not sure you are uh, not sure. Yeah, let, let's pick that one. Okay, let's try. <laughs> um, you mentioned the use of spot instances. Um, does it mean that I have to run one software for the spot instance and one software for the reserved instance? Can you no, take that? If you do this, yeah, no one would be using spot instances. Um, okay. no, indeed, we use the same software uh, for any type of deployment. The idea is um, what we did, it's just we changed a little bit the way we deploy it um, in a sense where uh, we created two, uh, you know, I mentioned the auto scaling groups. So we created one for what we call the permanent, I would say, microservices. So running the front end, the database, all these kind of, I would say, backend services and the transcoding microservices, really the, 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 I would say the container that is transcoding, 
This is part of an auto-scanning group that relies on spot instances. So it's really very dynamic. And this one can be uh, shut down. It won't create any issue. But I'm pretty sure we could even use spot instances also for our other uh, components uh, just by you know adding a bit more of those uh, components. So just multiplying them a little bit more. Um, so no, you don't have to change anything in your software. You just have to think the architectures through for the deployment, but you don't have to change anything. Uh, Jonathan, anything to add about the spot instances uh, on top of uh, what Chris and you already covered in the presentation? No, Chris, you did a great job on that one. That's uh, that's the key, right? It just works. Uh, as a as a as a partner, you're delivering to our, our, your customers uh, uh, an abstracted solution that they don't even have to worry about the spot instances whether they're going to work or not. You know, whether they're going how they're going to work. Uh, it just it just happens, uh, and and that's really uh, uh, the advantage that we find with our partners is is delivering to the customer something that is simple, easy to use, and cost efficient. Great, uh, seven minutes to go. Let's try to have uh, one more, maybe two questions. Um, Jonathan, um, and actually that's a topic that we had also yesterday with our partner, uh, nice people at work about the analytics. Mm -hmm. um, for AI and ML use case, could you share numbers or detail a specific use case on incident ratio detected before customer calling support to complain about failure. We all know that operation can be sensitive and if you improve that, you can improve the customer care. So do you have these details? You know, I don't have a specific use case uh, I could share today. I, I can tell you that with the, the sets of machine learning services we have and the infrastructure, um, we can put it in the hands of every developer, every data scientist and every practitioner. We're helping more than 100,000 customers accelerate their machine learning journey. What I can tell you is, uh, if you're familiar with NPS scores, which is the, the scoring system that's very common to um, show customer satisfaction, uh, we have seen customers uh, who've gone to the cloud using AIML as, a, as an operational tool, similar to how ATEM is, we've seen customers increase up to 30% NPS score uh, simply by by migrating to the cloud and using those tools, and that's the, the those that particular customer. Uh, it, it was really about the customer experience, the reliability of the service, and and the the quality of service they were getting. So you know, NPS scores. If you use them, the, you know, many companies are are really are guided by that. Um, but I think the the short answer on here, even though I've given you a longer one, is, uh, you know, 30% increase in customer satisfaction uh, while saving, while with the cost savings was really, uh, for that customer, pretty, pretty huge. All right. Uh, we still have time for one last question. Um, so, uh, you know that when we come with video, we have a large amount of data, uh, clearly, uh, you know, VOD or live 24-7. Um, but like in the case of linear channels, how do how to best address the cost of outbound traffic from the public cloud? I, That's I can a take for you, Jonathan. I guess. Okay, uh, I'll take that one. So we only have five minutes left. This is a discussion that we could do a whole session on. Um, 
Uh, first, let me clarify that uh, ingress into the cloud. So stuff, content you're sending in, live content, VOD content files, that's all, there's no charge for that, right? That's free. So uh, egress, as we call it, outbound from the cloud uh, is, is where the cost is. Um, and there's a number of different solutions to solve that. There's using CloudFront, which is uh, Amazon CDN, the AWS CDN for distribution uh, can be a, a huge cost savings versus just coming out of straight instance. Um, if you're going back to a data center or a knock or a, a head end, we can leverage what's called our direct connect connectivity, which is uh, essentially dark fiber or, or lit fiber between your facility through a provider directly into an AWS region. And so you're not doing internet charges there. It's, it's really, um, it's, a, it's a much more cost efficient method. Um, and then of course there is internet egress. That's not the solution to use quite frankly with, with video. Um, there's definitely better solutions um, to, to do that. So there's a number of options we have to do that. Um, the thing about media is uh, to, to the, to the uh, question, the question submitters point, uh, it is, it's heavy. Uh, if you're looking at an enterprise solution, you're putting in uh, terabytes or petabytes or exabyte of data into a cloud and getting out much smaller results, whether it's a dashboard or an Excel spreadsheet, just to give a high level generalization. With media, you're putting in a relatively small file and getting out millions of streams to, to distribute that. And so uh, as that is not a, uh, that is atypical for AWS, um, the pricing uh, that is the published pricing that we have is for typical use cases. So we like to work with our customers to, to find the right solution uh, that fits both their technical need and, and their pricing need on top of the uh, compute, uh, AI, and other resources we, uh, we can offer. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, I guess uh, we can call it a day uh, because there is uh, no more question and we are running a bit out of time. Uh, thank you both. Thank you, Chris. Uh, thank you, Jonathan. Please uh, give our regards to Andy and Jeff at AWS. Absolutely. Um, thank you for this great session. And actually, uh, that was the last session of the 24 hours. And I would like to thank on behalf of all ATEM team, uh, not only the partners, the 30 partners who have um, went with us on this race, but also the hundreds of viewers, engaged viewers that we have uh, since yesterday. So thank you, everyone. Uh, thank you to the, all the ATEM people, all the partners. It was a great event. And we hope to see you again next year for the third edition. Thank you, everyone. Have a great thank day. You, thank you, everyone. Now we are at the end of the 23rd and last podcast from the 2021 edition of the online 24 hours of ATEM. If you want to find out more about ATEM, you can go to the ATEM.com website or follow us on LinkedIn. Take care of your engines to have them ready for the next year. Yeah.